From the University of California, Irvine, this is UCI Minds Spotlight on Care, the podcast where we share stories, experiences, tips, and advice on caring for loved ones affected by Alzheimer's and other dementias. Hello and welcome. I'm Virginia Nave, and this is Spotlight on Care. I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Steve O'Leary. Our guest today is Lisa Updegraff. Two years ago, she was one of our very first podcast guests, and she's still caring for her mom, who now has had Alzheimer's disease for about seven years. We thought it would be interesting to find out how things have been going for her and her mom, and she will let us know what the disease process has been like for the last two years. Welcome, Lisa. We're so glad you're here with us today, and thanks for taking the time to be here. I'm so glad to be back, and so much has happened and shifted in the past month or so that it's actually a perfect time for me to rejoin you and kind of update you on my journey, because it's... I think that, Virginia, had you told me all the things that I'm going through now, back then, I not that I wouldn't have believed you, but I wasn't ready to hear it. Yep. So there is a continuum to caretaking, and yep. uh, I've reached a new plateau with my mom. So it actually was just serendipitous that you asked me to rejoin you. I'm so glad that you did. And and Steve and I are often asked about, you know, the very end kind of stages. And boy, it's hard to know what we should answer and what we shouldn't because it's it can be overwhelming at times. And I totally understand what you're going through. It's interesting how you're um, how you get prepared. Uh, I think the Lord doesn't necessarily give you too much too soon. And um, it prepares you as you go through this journey. That's an interesting comment you made. Yeah, amen. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that it's sort of at, on an as-need-to-know basis. And your your yeah. brain just can't comprehend more than that. And if you had told, and this is graphic, but if you had told me two years ago that I was going to be changing my mother's poo-poo diaper every single day, yeah. I probably would have said, oh, yeah, 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 right. But that's the reality of it. And um, and you just sort of grow into your role. I mean, the thing, what you need to do, what you need to do. And even that itself, changing the poo-poo diapers, has become such an ordeal and such a journey into itself uh, that, that uh, again, you can't prepare for it, really. You can, no. you can uh, adjust as, as you yes. need to. You somehow get the strength. I often say that if humans didn't have to eliminate, life would be a lot easier, especially <laughs> for someone with dementia. <laughs> anyway, you told us two years ago that you were doing your best to keep your mom at home because that was her wish. How's that going? And have you changed or added caregivers? We have. We have been able to keep her at home. This has been her request. Luckily, she's in a, which I think I mentioned two years ago, she's in a one-bedroom uh, ranch-style home that I baby-proofed um, and added things as I had to, including a, 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 sh- a shower transfer bench, which I'll talk about later. But um, So I have been able to keep her at home, and we have two wonderful 
live in housekeepers who, God bless them, same women, and they have been uh, taking care of mom. And now, I mean, their duties aren't really housekeeping or running errands. It's it's just keeping mom fed and and changing her diaper. Or I've been helping to change her diaper. Now I really have to because mom isn't weight bearing anymore. But um, I have been able to do it. And I found that it's been a lot less expensive than putting her in a facility. I have a lot of friends who've put their parents in facilities for one reason or the other. And either you, you don't have the, the resources or the, or the, to have somebody in the home all the time, or you live in a different state. Um, yep. I just happened, or my best friend who's much, she lived in Bangkok and her mother was here in, in Los Angeles. Um, but, but I've been able to keep mom at home because it worked. And it was a lot less expensive. And so that, because it can bankrupt families and it's tragic. That's a whole other episode, I'm sure. But uh, so, yes, so I have been able to, and I have made modifications as we've gone along. I did buy a hospital bed, got rid of her regular bed because she really couldn't get in and out of it. Uh, The the first hospital bed I I bought for her in or had for her in uh, through Medicare didn't have full guardrails. I would suggest highly anybody who's going through this get full guardrails because my mother, of course, doesn't know she can't walk and she fell out of her bed in November trying to get out of it. Wasn't, I think it was just a hairline fracture. It wasn't a shattering of everything, which is amazing to me considering she has bone on bone um, osteoarthritis. But it, it kind of put her back a spell. And so we just kept the bed. Um, I was able to get her standing long enough in her walker to put her in the wheelchair, to wheel her in to take, give her a shower. And alongside with, yeah, I used to have just a shower bench. Then I bought a transfer bench. What is, what is that? It's actually a really groovy thing that my mother can no longer use because she can't get out of her wheelchair. But it's a, a shower bench that goes half outside of the shower and half inside the shower and has little levers. So you've got them to sit on the bench itself. Then you, they have to kind of pick up their feet and the, you press up the levers and you slide them into on the seat, which moves on the bench into the shower. So they are, they're able to, they don't have to clamber into a shower like before, I used to be able to get my mom to hold onto the rail and then put one foot over. The other was very oh, slow. Yeah, I know. We went through that. Steve, do you do you remember a transfer shower bench? No, but I think that that's just, you know, this is the number one issue of people who are aging is showering and how you get in and out of the shower and how somebody can help you. And especially... You're dealing with your mom. Imagine dealing with a 200-pound man. I was like, ah, no, <laughs> without something like that. So, yeah, um, that that's a great innovation, sounds like. She's doing that. N- she's not afraid of water. I, that can that shifted. And I think we okay, had talked good. about it. And also I talked about a good friend of mine whose father has Alzheimer's. She had asked me a couple months ago, does your mom still like showers? I said, my mom loves her showers. It's difficult to get her in the shower, but once she's in, she luxuriates. She loves one of the few pleasures she has. So I would just, you know, indulge her in her shower. And the past month she's decided she hates showers and she's more, I I don't know if she's afraid and it's become horrific. It's become horrific. And I've happened, my mom is now in hospice and that's another topic, but um, 
we've gone from my mom loving showers to refusing and hitting and kicking and spitting and biting and punching. Um, we've tried to force her in twice now, and it was so horrible for everybody. And I finally decided we could we even could get her. We couldn't even get her on the transfer bench. So instead, we uh, I decided to back her in with a wheelchair. You know how you back them into things in the wheelchair. And I bought a long time ago. Uh, I don't know if it's a transport wheelchair, but it's like a it's a light and sporty wheelchair, so it's not heavy. And uh, I think it's titanium. I'm not really sure, but it's light, so I can I could push her over the lip of the shower and uh, shower her that way. But it was horrific. So I just actually was on the phone this morning with hospice with the caretaker and I the care caseworker, and I said, you know what? I think if it's going to continue this way, it's so bad for everybody that we should just sponge bathe her from now on. And mm-hmm. if her hair's dirty, oh well. They have these crazy, um, they're like plastic dishes with a blow-up pillow for the neck, and you can actually, in bed, wash somebody's hair. Really? Okay, that's yeah. very cool. I'm writing this down. Yeah. Um, where would I, Amazon? Where would I find mom. something like that? You know what, Amazon, you can find just about anything, because I was having the same kind of trouble with my mom, and- I kind of forget how that went if we if we actually had success with that, but look it up and it m- might be worth trying. Sure. No, thank you so much for that. That's a huge um, tip. Yeah. This is why we all help each other because like things like transport, <sighs> yeah. or I never heard of that before. It's like you talk to people and then yeah. you learn different things and you just, it's like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And then you solve one problem and then you've got another problem like right after it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, how much is she talking to you? Because two years ago, five years into the disease, she was uh, very aware of her situation and she didn't want to hear the word Alzheimer's and she did not want to discuss assisted living communities. Is that still the same and how's that going? It's exactly the same. My mother still believes she can walk. She still believes that we don't talk about Alzheimer's. We don't talk about hospice at this point. We don't talk. I I still fib uh, and tell her the medicine she's taking is they're all natural supplements because that's what my mother, how I was raised and she doesn't believe in any Western medicine. I've had to, because she's become again, the past two months since we've had her on hospice, she's become extremely aggressive again um, and angry and having a tantrum for like hours on end. We've I think it's called Halidol. I'm not really sure. I'm so sorry, but it's 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 an anti. Seroquel. It's not Seroquel. We had her on oh. Seroquel, and she's on the maximum dosage of Seroquel to keep her calm. Uh, we've okay. added another um, another component, and now it's every six hours because she's so angry and so mean, and so uh, she refuses to do anything that we ask her to do, and that could mm-hmm. be anything. So. Um, I didn't know if she was speaking at at this point. She'll spin off into nonsensical uh, riffs uh, that don't follow. It's not a, you know, it doesn't follow non sequiturs, you know. And what I have found, and this is because I, I have been taking care of her for seven years now, she, there's a difference between 
what's happening now, which I think is a natural progression of Alzheimer's. And she still talks, but it's not gibberish. It's just going off into some random tangent. Uh, so she can't keep focused on anything. That and when she presents with a UTI is a totally different thing. The UTI is delusional craziness that, and I've, I had to fight when I first got her on hospice to get her on um um, antibiotics because I knew she was presenting with a UTI. And that's where the speech was just, I mean, it was just nonsensical. So mm -hmm. yes, she still talks. She still recognizes who I am. Uh, although she'll call me her mother, which right. I am right now. Uh, but she still is talking. And I know there is a point where they become nonverbal. I knew she was not an easygoing person, but it doesn't sound to me like that's uh, gotten a whole lot better. No, it's actually become accentuated. And I know friends whose parents are were very easygoing and kind, like yours, Virginia. And then um, the Alzheimer's kind of takes over and they become mean or they, they just say, you know, completely inappropriate things. And that isn't my mom. My mom has continued to be um, as irascible as ever. <laughs> So it hasn't, it's not been an easy journey and I, but the past five or six months, because I've seen the decline, I've been able to come and meet her with much more compassion than I would have maybe even two years ago when she was really irritating me. Could you talk a little bit about your decision to uh, bring on hospice care? Was that something recommended by the doctor, something you decided on? And what was the process about selecting a hospice nurse or company? I actually had been approached by her primary care physician in November when mom did fall. And she said, you know, Lisa, we still have to start thinking about perhaps, uh, and even before that, I think, uh, hospice. And I think in my mind, to me, it meant end of life right this second. <laughs> <laughs> so not, and there was just something about the the verbiage and the meaning in my head. Even though I have friends who've gone through hospice, my father had gone through hospice at the very end of his life, um, and I wasn't ready for it. And I said, and she said, suggested palliative care, which we started with. We started with palliative care, and it just wasn't enough. And then mom fell again, and we decided. I had a long, very frank talk with her physician, who said. I don't want to influence you. It's got to be what's best for the family. But what would be her quality of life if she you know, perhaps has a uh, hip surgery, hip replacement surgery, and then she's in a facility and then you move her into a facility full time? It's not what she wants. And I said, you're right. It's not what she wants. She wants to die in that home. And she's been very clear about that all along. And she still refused surgery. And she hadn't, whatever she did when she fell, it wasn't so egregious that she had to go in and have surgery. So the doctor suggested, maybe now it's a time for hospice. She'll be at home. You'll have care. You'll have more help. You'll have more resources. And I was ready to hear it. And so I remember I met with the intake nurse. And I, I, my mother was, for the entirety of the two and a half hours he was there, was screaming at the top of her lungs, tantruming over something. And you know what it's like with a child you don't remember anymore because whatever it all blends together into this big blur of she's angry about something and so that's when and i remember feeling like i was doing the right thing 
And I knew I was going to get more help for her, especially with bathing because she was getting more and more difficult to bathe. And I know I went to Ralph's afterwards and I just sobbed all the way through the aisles. If it wasn't end of life this second, it was end of the life pretty darn soon in terms of life. So it was really the, the, the her internist whose stepmother had developed early onset Alzheimer's. So she knew about Alzheimer's and she was the one who actually first thought mom had Alzheimer's and wanted her to be diagnosed. So that was the the process to, to get her into hospice. And it has been, and I just followed an answer to your question. The reason I chose that particular hospice that we have now was I didn't do any research at all. It was just what was suggested and prescribed. And so I would suggest, because I've had a bad experience so far, which is being remedied, to do your research and when you when a time comes to get to put your loved one on hospice and get referrals from friends, take whoever your doctor recommends, ask them why they recommend that particular hospice. There are so many out there. It's a big business. And it's taken me two and a half months now to finally get everybody on board, feel comfortable with it. I think I've raised enough ruckus because I felt like my I wasn't being heard at all about a lot of things that now I think things are starting to iron out. But that's something I didn't know going into hospice. You can shop around. You can choose somebody else. I would do that if I were you. Steve, I think you interviewed three. Yeah, I was just going to add to your your story by saying, one, hospice can last a lot longer. We think about it as the last few weeks. And really, for an Alzheimer's patient, it can be months. And so, and it can be re-upped if they qualify. So there are certain criteria. In fact, we have a fabulous uh, podcast on hospice that I think covers some of what you talked about. The other thing is, is you can change. If you're not happy, it's like finding a doctor. You know, if you're not happy, get another doctor. And the other thing is finding, uh, look for somebody who's an experienced organization and nurse with Alzheimer's or dementia care which is an entirely different care than somebody who's just going through hospice, a cancer patient or something. Amen to all of that. I agree with you completely. And again, it was not anything. I, I just didn't know. I didn't know either. I just took the person that our facility recommended. And I had, I had no idea that I even had a choice. But we were, it was only like two weeks before my mom passed. So I didn't have time to even think about anything. And I was all confused anyway. I was upside down completely. Uh, I, can, I can only imagine. And that was how it was with my father went in to, uh, he was diagnosed uh, basically with lung cancer and put on hospice. But when they're going to, it's when they're going to be there for kind of a, a, a longer stretch of time. Yes, you have choice. And yes, if you don't like, or you're not, you're not gelling with the, the, the hospice, um, organization that you get you you've chosen you can switch it's a good thing for people to know because i thought i was pretty pretty well versed and i had no no clue at all you mentioned uh this morning in our communications that you had a conversation with was it the social worker how'd that go it was really actually really nice and he gave me his phone number one of the things with the health card with the uh the uh hospice that we're with is it's such a large organization that my mom has a certain team and 
when the nurses call you or call you back, if you can't pick up the phone, it all comes from an, an unknown caller. So there's it's a blocked caller. So if you're anything like me, I don't tend to pick those calls up because I don't know who they are selling solar panels or something. So I got a lot of missed calls. And then if I called back and had to go through a gatekeeper secretary, and then they had to get the message. And then the sec- then the nurse would call me back and then I wouldn't pick up the phone. It was just ridiculous. I think I lost my temper <laughs> a little <Talk>. bit. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to switch. I really, I, I am going to go to another company because this is ridiculous. And I am not getting my my questions answered. Mom is now no, not weight bearing. I've asked for a something called a gate belt for to help me get her up for three weeks, and I have not had any communication back. Mom needs somebody to cut her toenails. Nobody has called me back, and I said, "This is I I know this is a business, and I'm going to call somebody else." And all of a sudden. Everybody started calling me and the case manager called me and the social worker called me and everyone was very, very nice. And I obviously this is their business and they don't want to lose the money. So we'll see. We'll see. But the case, the, the, the social worker was lovely. He gave me his personal phone number. He said, if there's any problems, please contact me. He's going to have, um, they have a sort of a spiritual chaplain who comes out and talks to the patient. And I said, as long as they don't mention death, dying, Alzheimer's or hospice, Alzheimer's, I'm fine. <laughs> Come talk about, you know, Bob Goulet. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Certain things she's not, she does not want to hear. So I think that sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Whatever that old yeah, saying is. It's true. So yes, yeah, so I think it's that the, I think everybody realizes that it was just too big an organization. It needed to be winnowed down to a manageable team where there could be communication, and especially when it comes to things like UTIs. Um, and again, like with my mom's uh, poo poo diapers, I needed that gate belt, which is something that you put around your their waist, and it helps you kind of like lift them up. Because now it's gonna, it takes two people to change her diaper. And I, I mean, there was just, it was impossible. People need to know that if they're not happy and they're not getting service, that they can change or have a serious conversation like you did, like this needs to change. Well, I think the, the point you were making is the care can come a lot sooner than you would think about it. We traditionally think about hospice as the very end. And this is great because most of these organizations do have teams. And now there's, you know, different people for different functions. And as long as you've got a good nurse or, or case manager that you're working with and monitors what's going on, it's a great service. And, you know, it's being paid for. So why not? I mentioned that I was having a masseuse come over to massage mom because her, she was developing so much edema in her legs because she was sitting on this couch all the time. And the um, case manager said, oh, you know, we have, we, we can have somebody come out, a masseuse come out. So that we said this wonderful woman, she comes out once a week. And even if she's just gently touching mom, she's listening to her and mom's mm. having contact. When the hospice person came in, they didn't detail the services that were available to you? There's another thing to learn. 
which is they should go through what their services are. And this is one of the ways for you to compare services is what different capabilities do you have that I can access? Uh, anyway, sounds like you're in a better place than you were at the beginning, which is the important thing. Absolutely. And if, if, if my journey can help anybody else, I, that not have to make the mistakes that I did, or at least know the questions to ask. Cause I kind of like, didn't know. So what, what fills her day? It's really very sad. I mean, I remember when, uh, before she went on hospice, her case manager from the UCLA Alzheimer's uh, division, who was a lovely nurse, told me to buy mom a, like an activity blanket that little kids would use that you zip in, you up and down and you tie things. And mom looked at it like, are you kidding me? My mother like, went to Stanford. My mom is really smart. She's <laughs> not. She said, like, what the heck is this thing? Mm -hmm. So she... Watches a little TV, uh, but she won't watch until she has rules. Like somehow she knows five o'clock. That's when TV could go on. She really, she can't read because she can't really see anymore. She sleeps a lot. And I think I mentioned my mom had this cabaret act, um, which is one of the reasons why I think she staved off Alzheimer's as long as she did. because She had all these songs to memorize and patter and stuff. But Thank God she did all these CDs, these little CDs that she'd sell at her shows. And I put that CD on over and over and over again, and she just listens to herself and she sings. And that's what brings her joy. She still sings. She sings. But she remembers a lot of the words, which is kind of, mm -hmm. which is, again, very interesting. Um, yeah. and these are all, you know, old standards that we would know, not the young guys. <laughs> At the bottom of the screen. <laughs> those of us right. of a certain age. Yes. So she remembers a lot of the words and she and she sings. And that's really but it's is her quality of life? I mean, that's I don't know. Okay, we're gonna wrap up with this question. How are you doing? I am doing okay. I am so grateful that I have friends like you, Virginia, that I can talk to <laughs> and that when I've reached a new place, I can, you give me support. And that means a lot to me. I think reaching out to your friends, I have a lot of friends. Unfortunately, I'm at that age. A lot of our parents are going through this. A lot of our mothers are going through this. And so we all support each other. And again, I am so blessed. I live very close to my mother, but I can walk away. So I'm close enough that in four minutes, if something happens, I'm at home but uh, or at her home. But um, I make sure that I do an online exercise class every day. I do meditation. I do everything I can to keep myself centered and grounded because I know that when I'm not and I'm frazzled and I go over, I'm not as nice and I'm short-tempered. Not short. I mean, I sound like I'm terrible, but I, I'm just not as compassionate and loving and patient and if I take care of myself, then I am. And so that's a big lesson. You have to take care of yourself no matter what. And, and I think it's much more difficult if you're living with your loved one. But you have to make time for yourself, either through the meditation or the exercise or go walk around the block or whatever it is. That's so key because that reflects dramatically and directly in your caretaking. We try to stress that point all the time. Caregivers have to put their mask on first. Steve, do you have any questions for Lisa? Yeah. Um, so this is a tough one. 
Are you starting to worry about and think about the end? I think about it quite a bit. And I think that's why I'm weepy a lot in Ralph's. Um, and I'm trying to, I'm tr- even though our relationship is, has shifted so dramatically over the past seven years, and I really am her mother now, I'm trying to remember what a dynamic person she was, how, what a go-getter she was, how smart she was, how much she did in community service, how she was such a wonderful grandmother to my children who absolutely adore her. And I'm trying to remember all the essence of my mom that she's leaving behind because the shell of her body now that she's leaving behind isn't really my mom. It's, it's the vehicle that's shutting down. And I think whatever the spirit is, which she's already kind of transitioning um, she talks about it all the time. So I know it's going to be super hard um, because this has been part of my life. The past seven years has been my identity has been her caretaker. But my prayer every single day is that is that she goes before she before she's completely bedridden in a, in a vegetative state. But that's up to her and God. But that's my prayer. So that's what I that's when I come with compassion to her. Sounds to me like you're doing really well. <laughs> I'm seeing her cry. <laughs> Well, that's part of the process, you know? There's nothing harder. Well, the reason I asked you the question, I thought your answer was excellent, is uh, you need to be aware, uh, you need to accept the fact that it's going to happen, and you need to start the grieving process because it makes it easier on you, and it makes the caregiving more worthwhile, and yet you're sitting there kind of wishing for other activities to happen. So... Very normal. It sounds like you're in good shape, girl. So um, good for you. Thank you. Well, we'll just see how Easter works out. (laughs) You know, we talk about this journey, and it's a journey that we all go through, but it's a different journey. And, you know, I, 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 I say to some people occasionally that you can come out of this journey feeling actually um, that you went through something that was a positive, sad, difficult, all of those words, but in the end, something that you actually benefited from as a person. So sounds like you're there. Thank you for those words. And I, I, I agree with you completely. We learned so much going through that journey. I don't think any of us would choose it. All right, we'll wrap up. Uh, thanks, Lisa, for joining us today. And I know this information is going to be helpful to a lot of people. And it will help them know what might be ahead of them uh, when they're experiencing caregiving for a loved one. And for our listeners, we hope you join us again soon for another episode regarding Alzheimer's and other dementia caregiving on Spotlight on Care. Spotlight on Care is produced by the University of California, Irvine Institute on Memory Impairments and Neurological Disorders, UCI Mind. Interviews focus on personal caregiving journeys and may not represent the views of UCI Mind. Individuals concerned about cognitive disorders, prevention, or treatment should seek expert diagnosis and care. Please subscribe to the Spotlight on Care podcast wherever you listen. For more information, visit mind.uci.edu.